I'd like to invite you now to uh, kneel with me. Let's come together and let's have a, a word of prayer together before we get into such an important uh, topic here. So please kneel with me if you can. Just a second. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you so much for uh, your wonderful love towards us. We thank you for Jesus who you sent. John 3.16 tells us, you love us and you sent your Son that we may be saved. We, we thank you so much. And because of Jesus, we give our hearts to Jesus and we ask forgiveness for our sins. Father, we pray that you will send the Holy Spirit to be with us and angels from heaven to be here among us that we may gain a taste of heaven and be lifted up, encouraged uh, to continue our walk of faith, to continue the spreading of the gospel and the truth to our families, uh, our neighbors, to the world. Father, we lift up before you those who those who are ill among us. We pray for Betty Newcomb, that dear soul. We pray that you be very near to her and uh, heal her and bring your sweet spirit upon her. And uh, we pray also for um, our friend Susan. She's been battling different illnesses. We pray that you will continue to walk with her and and to help her to heal. Also that uh, her her auto is in the uh, the shop for whatever reason. And we pray that you will make the funds available, that that uh, repairs can be made, and she can be uh, able to trans uh, to have transportation. We pray, Lord, for those in our our own families, our children especially, who are under the attack of the devil and being deceived and making wrong choices according to Thy will. We pray that You will send a retinue of angels to surround them and uh, help them to come to a right understanding that You are love and protect them so that uh, they can come to You in some point. We love our children. We want them to be in the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we've come together here. With all the saints around the world on this Sabbath day, help us to keep it holy. And I pray especially, Lord, that you give me the words to speak today. We're speaking about gospel order, the leader of the home, the principles for primarily the brethren, the men. Uh, Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak. They may be the truth in your words, and the hearts will be open to it. And that our homes can be a reflection of the family in heaven. Thank you so much for Jesus, his life and death for us. And I pray this in his blessed name. Amen. Now, last week, began this study about gospel order in the home. And I want to kind of refresh your memories a little bit before we get started from where we left off. There were two, well, there are a number of quotes here I want to share with you. But um, the first thing that I brought to your attention was that the family unit... What the, the condition of the family unit here on earth 
will be reflected in the church. And that order begins at home. It begins with the individual, you remember. And uh, from the individual, it can ripple out to the rest of the family. But I want to bring a couple of these quotes to you right now that, that I shared last time. They're both from the book, The Advent, The Adventist Home. The first one's page 306. says, There is need for constant watching that the principles which lie at the foundation of family government are not disregarded. Notice, the principles that lie at the foundation of family government. Then she says, The Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. And when earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will be brought into the church. It's very important. We see the condition of the professed church today is fallen. And friends, when you see that condition, you can rest assured that it began with the family unit. You see? Now there are other factors, of course, but it begins there. And that's where Satan attacks the hardest. Look at our culture and our world today in the United States, even around the world, but look in the United States. Look at the families. Look at the inner cities. Satan has done a masterful job, and I'm not patting him on the back. It means we've done a a terrible job, doesn't it? By walking by faith. And you can see the condition. Here's the second Quote, it's from the Adventist home, page 319. In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, church duties should first begin in the home. And bring that to your attention so we have a right understanding here. When we bring our home into true gospel order with Jesus at the head and the center, then there is great hope for the revitalization, a revival within the church. Amen? Why is it that in so many Christian homes we have divisions, we have disorder? Well, I shared this quote with you again from the Adventist home, page 179. The cause of division and discord in families and in the church is separation from Christ. You see, that's the key. Jesus is to be everything to us. But when we separate from Christ, what happens? There's a division. There's discord. Because without Jesus, evil reigns. Amen? So, if you are separated from Christ, evil's going to reign. He's going to attack the, the family. And so she goes on, she says, to come near to Christ is to come near to one another. The secret of true unity in the church and in the family is not diplomacy, not management, not a superhuman effort to overcome difficulties, though there will be much of this to do. There are principles of management and stuff we're going to get into. But that's not the key. That's not the secret. She says, union with Christ is the secret. And friends, that union is the most important thing to have. And like I said, it's an individual work. It begins with that, our relationship with Christ. This is something that Jesus Himself prayed for, didn't He? And I know that when we get our personal life 
and our family life in oneness with Christ, we're going to see we're going to see true gospel order in our life individually and as a family, and uh, and uh, we'll be able to restore gospel order to to the church. And that statement from Adventist Home Page three nineteen: Church duties should first begin in the home. I think is a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement, and uh, that's what I'm emphasizing uh, here as we take a look at uh, our different roles of the family unit. What is God's plan? Here's that statement I shared last week from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 430. Christian homes established and conducted in accordance with God's plan are among His most effective agencies for the formation of Christian character and for the advancement of His work. And I think all of us want to have a Christian character, do we not? And I know that if you want to have a Christian character, that means a character like that of Christ, that you want to advance the Savior's work, do you not? So we got to establish and conduct our home in accordance to God's plan. Well, in order to do that, we got to know what God's plan is, don't we? And so, <clears throat> began looking at God's plan there in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and that was the first family unit and the ideal. And I'm speaking to the ideal that we find. God's plan is the ideal, see? And we know that no matter how difficult it may seem and what condition your family is in right now, the condition between a husband and a wife or whatever it may be, if you would just believe, see, Jesus said in Mark 9.23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You can have restored order. You can have restored love between spouses, between mothers and fathers and their children. In John 15.5, Jesus said, For without me ye can do nothing. So you see, Jesus is gospel order, we learned before. And that's the foundation that we have to build upon. And so we're looking at essentially seven principles and command, commands given to, to husbands and fathers for the order of the family. And, and I say, men, husbands, fathers, I, I include all because the principles for a husband can also cover a male that's single at the moment, you see. And I began uh, with First Peter 3 and verse 7. Because it contains several principles of responsibility for a Christian husband. It teaches us something about men's role in the church organization as well. This is why we're studying this. Gospel order in the home, in the family, will ripple into the church. And gospel order and the roles within the family teach us a lot about leadership roles, responsibility in the church. Because the family is a symbol of the family in heaven. The family is a, to be a symbol of the church. It is a church, see? Wherever Jesus abides, there is His church. And so I shared this, this, this scripture, 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
And I wanted to concentrate, and I began actually to concentrate on what Peter was saying, dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. And what this tells us, friends, beloved, and, and, and mainly this is for the men, but it's, it, it will edify everyone. The first thing that I want you to notice in this text is man's role of intelligent leadership. He's the leader of the home. But he leads according to knowledge. And this means that man is to have much more than a superficial understanding of what we find today, the female physiology. We've got to have a, a greater understanding of female physiology. Now, I want to take a moment here uh, to kind of go over this just again real quickly with you. I, I touched a, upon it uh, somewhat last time we were together. One of the greatest problems in the family today is that the differences between the male and the female have only been taught from a pure uh, physical point of view. Dare I say, evolutionist view. And what do I mean by an evolutionist view? Well, the weak don't survive in the evolutionist view. Isn't that right? Only the strong. Na natural order, you see. So, it's, it's based upon uh, more of a physical point of view, see? The truth that God created men uh, and women with more than physical differences uh, is not taught much at all in the world and slightly better uh, in the family or church. And this is one of the greatest failings of the church, I believe, and thus a major cause in the dysfunction of the family unit. The differences, and I'm talking about emotional, mental, and physical, are so wide that without, friends, without God's grace, without education, true education, and a concentrated effort to understand each other, it will be virtually impossible to have a happy marriage, a solid family unit, and a church organized on gospel order. That's a strong statement I'm making, friends, but I'm telling you. It will be virtually impossible. Men, and again, I'll get to the women later on, men must learn to dwell with women according to knowledge. That's what Peter's telling us. In his book entitled, If Only He Knew, by Gary Smalley, he gives two major reasons for failed marriages. And thus, I would say, a breakdown of the family unit. If you have a, a failed marriage, you have a dysfunctional family. You're not going to have true gospel order. Remember what we read about Christ? The secret to success in, in the family is union with Christ. The reason for div division in a family is a lack of Christ separation from Christ. Remember we read that? Notice what he says. It's the first thing he says. First one. Two majors, yeah, Gary Smalley, two major reasons for failed marriages. First he says that men and women enter marriage with storybook expectations and limited training. 
And I found that to be true by my own experience, but, you know, seeing others, talking to other couples, marriages, uh, married people, talking to men primarily, but observation, you know. The relationship is usually based upon how does he or she make me feel rather than a fulfilling partnership according to God's love and order. You see so many relationships uh, uh, come together basically out of lusts one for another than a true love of God being at the heart of it. So a couple get married and with the time they may find that their feelings have changed toward each other and thus the marriage heads down the road of failure. Because it's based primarily upon feelings. With the correct training. And this is what he's talking about. See, You have this storybook expectation and they have limited training as to being what it means to be married. But if they have the correct training before marriage and even during a strained marriage, friends, you get the correct education training. I like education maybe better. Um, happiness, joy, fulfillment can be the reality just as God had planned. And that leads to the second reason that Gary Smalley gives in his book for failed marriages. And that is that men and women lack understanding about the general differences between men and women. And I think this is huge. Men, this is huge. Yeah, my wife's my wife's back there going, huge! <laughs> She's, her arms can't reach wide enough. And, and, I, and it is huge. It is huge. God created us differently and for very good reasons. And we must understand that God has, as men, Again, I'm speaking primarily to men. Men, we must understand that God has wired a woman's brain differently than He wired the man's brain. And I I mentioned this last time we were together. And the reason for this is because the man and the woman have been given different roles to fulfill in the family unit. And thus, in the church family as well. Now, later on when we, we get on to talking about the home and the church and church order, leadership positions and ordination, the family unit is an example of that that leadership line. We'll talk about whether women's organization is biblical or not. And we may not even have to talk much about it we get through what the family unit, God's ideal for the family unit is. <laughs> but we will, we will mention it. You know, when I, when I talk to husbands, I find that, first of all, when I talk to them about this subject, um, most of them, the vast majority I've talked to, have never heard that their wife is wired different. Because remember what I said, the teaching has been that primarily it's based upon physical differences. And that's what they think. They think the brains are the same, yeah, there may be a little bit of emotional thing there, but 
you know, primarily it's the physical aspect, you see. And so they don't even, they've never heard of it. They've never even thought about that. They've just thought that their wife does some weird and strange things from time to time to which they just can't understand and they let it go at that. Yeah, and they blame certain things. Well, it's, you know, that time of the month for the woman or it's whatever, you know, hormones or what. You know, there's always something else to it. Physical, see? And they let it go at least until frustration overwhelms them and then it's downhill from there as feelings get hurt. Things are said, things are done, and if it's not corrected, it spirals and spirals and spirals. Most all men are caught in this devil's trap, just as I was, of having no conception that a woman was created so differently. That a woman's brain is wired for a purpose much different than a man's brain. That because of this, there is a difference in languages between a man and a woman that unless learned, will most likely end the relationship or you're going to have a terrible relationship. Now, of course, there are some that get by with it, some accept it, etc. But we're talking about the ideal here, aren't we? So, guys, God wired the woman to be, first of all, multitasking. Remember I said last week, a woman's brain is kind of like the Internet. It's just like one wire wrapped all the way around and goes in different places and doing different things all the same time. It's multitasking. To go from A to B by going through J and M and Z and G, maybe Q, all at the same time. It's all connected, see. God wired the man to be more linear, to be more logical in his thinking. And so he goes from A to B, and there's no way that anyone or anything is going to get in the way of getting to B. See? And if there are a group of guys going from A to B together, you can bet it'll be a race between them to see who gets to B first. That's just the way we're wired. And God did it for a purpose. Not only are they multitasking, women have been wired to be more personal than men. In other words, that they're built for relationships more than men are. They're more concerned with people and with feelings. They become more intimate also with like their their surroundings. It just kind of tickles me. I, my wife and I will be driving and, and I'll try to explain, you, you remember such and such a place and she, she's looking at highways and gets, oh, she just, no. But if I mention a landmark, she knows exactly where it's at because they're wired that way. They're wired to be intimate with their surroundings. They care less that it's Highway 2 they don't know what Highway 2 is, but it's where the round barn is on the corner, or whatever it may be, see? Or the sewing shop, or what, you know. I think of the home, for example. I think men could care less what the color of the kitchen is, or how the furniture is, is arranged. But this is something that women are intimately involved in because they're wired to be that way. Now, I'll admit... That until a few years ago, I was uneducated about such things, and it was very frustrating. Because I'm thinking linear, see, I'm wired that way, and my wife would tell me something, 
And I would even bounce it right back to her, what she said, and she said, you're not hearing me. Now that, men, how many of you guys have been frustrated of going through that? Because to us, it's A to B, I repeated it. You're driving me nuts. But see, once I learned the language and differences, a lot changed. It was like, to me, I don't know how to describe it other than a great huge light came on my mind and I could say, wow, I think I get it now. The frustrations virtually disappeared. And so I let my wife pick the colors for the living room and the kitchen and, and arrange the furniture and etc., whatever. Within reason, of course. <laughs> There's still got to be some logical sequence to it, guys, right? You know. But I came to understand that. That this, this is her domain. She's intimate with her surroundings much more than a guy is. I became more educated in her needs and language. And brethren, this is what it means to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. And when I speak to men on this subject, husbands especially, it's almost unanimous that they don't know how to fulfill their wife's needs. Many don't realize that there are needs outside the physical. You know, got to eat, got to have clothes, got to have a place. You know, like I mentioned before last week, bring home the bacon, you know, the money, and that's where it ends. Many that they though they don't realize that there are other needs that must be fulfilled, and the ones that do realize it uh, are uneducated as how to do it. There's a real communication problem that most men are completely unaware of. I was completely unaware of it. I thought we were communicating. I would write her words down and look at them and say, how am I not understanding what she's saying here? <laughs> well, the Lord helped me. And unless you get that communication problem figured out, brothers, you're, you may be completely unaware that there is an issue until she's walking out the door. Because if you're not fulfilling her needs, she will, subconsciously even, be attracted to someone who is. Now, I could spend several hours on this subject, but let me point you to a few books that will help educate you in fulfilling God's role as a, a man and husband in dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. Now, I'm going to mention three books here for you. Now, always compare them with the Bible, okay? But there's a lot of good stuff in, in these books that have helped, I know have helped me and have helped thousands of, of men. Uh, the first book, entitled If Only He Knew, by Gary Smalley. I quoted him a couple times already. Uh, another book, The Five Love Languages, by Gary Chapman. That's a very good book. Now, I would encourage you, like that book, to read it with your wife if you, if you can. But if you can't, read it you know, yourself. But uh, it's, it's definitely a couple's book. Uh, another book is His Needs... Her Needs by Willard F. Harley Jr. That can be a couple's book as well. 
But these will, these will really help you. And of course the book The Adventist Home by Ellen G. White. All will help your education, men, in having a loving partnership with your wife and gospel order in your home. And so I, I endorse those books, but again, always, no matter what you read outside of the Bible, compare it to God's Word. Always go by God's Word. And so, <clears throat> you know, we, we're looking at principles of gospel order in relation to a man's role in the home, and thus the church. And, and we, we saw that uh, from part one, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. God has set man in the place of leadership over his home and family. That's something that we covered. Um, we are to love our wives. Our scripture reading today, Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 20, 28 really. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, we are commanded to love our wives. But how are we to love our wives? As Christ loved the church. It's qualified there. It's more about fulfilling her needs. And men, let me tell you something. When you begin to fulfill her needs, she's going to fulfill your needs. Just as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you start giving, you're going to be receiving. <laughs> We're to love our wives. We're commanded to do so. Um, Paul said in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, this is something that that my wife and I spoke about last night even. <clears throat> when a husband's critical or sarcastic or scornful towards his wife, he's attacking and destroy, uh, destroying uh, the very emotional foundation of her life. And what we need to do, men, is to encourage. Always be an encouragement to our spouse. You know, we could say, give words of affirmation. My wife shared with me a gentleman who had listed like over 100, 102 words of affirmation that every wife wants to hear. You know, every wife wants to hear her husband tell her that she's beautiful. You know, you're a godly woman. Let me share a few with you. I've learned a lot from you. I've seen you grow so much. I like spending time with you. What a fantastic meal. You know, guys, just being appreciative. And sharing that appreciation with your spouse. You bring out the best in me. And guys, it has to come from your heart. You can't just take this list and say, okay, as I told my wife last night, well, okay, what am I going to say to my wife today? Let's say, you know, number 13 and 15 and 22. <laughs> because you know something? She's going to know whether it's real or not. You know, you are so thoughtful. 
Thank you for respecting me. Just words of affirmation. Guys, I rely on your intuition. That's a hard one for guys, let me tell you. But I found that my wife does have intuition that she sees things that I don't see. And I really do appreciate that because she'll share it with me. And sometimes it's a shock and I'll look at her and go, Really? I don't deserve you, but I'm glad you're mine. He has a hundred and, and two. And, and guys, is it really that far-fetched? I mean, don't you like to have words of affirmation? We'll get to some of them when we talk about uh, the ladies. I'll bring some of this to their attention as well. But, uh, you know, we're to love our wife, and part of that love is to lift up, to encourage, to affirm. Basically to be kind and loving, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Bible teaches that. To be loving and kind to one another. Sister White says that. We're to be in the family unit above all. To have a love for one another and be kind and courteous to one another. Now, you know, I talked about if you've lost your first love. That's what some of them say. You know, I had a, some old schoolmates that have gotten divorced, and one told me, he said, my wife just came home and out of the blue said she wanted something different and was gone. He was stunned. He didn't know there was any issues. And this is what I run into all the time. Guys don't see it coming because they don't understand the differences between men and women. They don't know the languages, the language of their wife. And so they go along and they're thinking linear and they think all things are okay. They don't hear what their wife's telling them. Now remember, I know it's a two-way street as well, see, but love grows cold for many reasons. It takes two to tango, but if one partner loves Christ with their entire heart and begins to live completely for Him, their life will be a sanctifying influence upon their partner. And friends, I'm going to tell you, you'll be amazed how love will begin to burn in your heart again towards your spouse. And theirs too. I've seen it happen. But the supreme test of love is whether it is prepared to forego happiness in order that the other might have it. Isn't that true? In this respect, the husband is to imitate Christ, giving up personal pleasures and comforts to obtain his wife's happiness. Now, you must love as Christ loved and not be overzealous towards your wife. I mean, that's going to... Uh, first of all, that's an extreme. And that will cause serious problems. They basically will become... I've, I've seen this. Where one spouse or the other is essentially an idol to the other spouse. They worship them. And that's what I mean by being overzealous towards them. But Christ gave Himself for the church because it was in desperate need. He did it to save the church. So, likewise, the husband will give Himself for the salvation of his wife, ministering to her spiritual, emotional, physical needs, and she to his in a spirit of mutual love. That's the ideal. And when you have that in the family, that's going to ripple out into the church. You'll see a mighty revival in the church, beloved. 
And the, the husband, he's a type of savior to the wife and the family. He is to be a symbol of Christ to them and do what he can to supply their needs, to protect them from the ravening wolves, you see, and teach them by his example, his precept and example how to be like Jesus. Again, Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let me share this with you. The Adventist home, page 117. Husbands should study the pattern and seek to know what is meant by the symbol presented in Ephesians. The relation Christ sustains to the church. Notice this. She says, The husband is to be as a savior in his family. Get that, guys? She says, Will he stand in his noble God-given manhood ever seeking to uplift his wife and children? Will he breathe about him a pure, sweet atmosphere? Will he not as assiduously cultivate the love of Jesus, making it an abiding principle in his home as he will assert his claims to authority? Let every husband and father study to understand the words of Christ, not in a one-sided manner, merely dwelling upon the subjection of the wife to her husband, but in the light of the cross of Calvary, study as to his own position in the family circle. And this is what we're doing. We're studying this. And I'll tell you, friends, again, the ideal for the family unit teaches us about the gospel order in the church as well. As it is the man who is to be the head of the family and as a savior to the family, it is also the qualified man who is to be an overseer and as a savior to the church family in the role of pastor and elder. Essentially, it is the biblically qualified male that is ordained of God to be responsible in fulfilling the sacred ordinances of communion, the rites of baptism and marriage for the church family. The woman has been given other great responsibilities by God to fulfill, beloved. I'm telling you, the devil is the instigator of such jealousies we see today in this regard of ordination. It's rather pathetic and ridiculous. We find another principle for the man, the husband and father in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. Paul says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. Isn't that powerful? He's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Men are to be the providers of their family's needs. Jesus has provided everything for the church. Men are to be the providers for their family. This doesn't mean that women cannot work. But the responsibility rests primarily upon the man, the husband, the father, to provide for the family. Especially if there are children involved, guys. Gospel order requires the men to work and be providers of the necessities of life. Now, I said necessities. Okay? I didn't say indulgences or luxuries. And there may be a difference of opinion between those things between a husband and wife. 
Okay. Notice this from the Signs of the Times, January seventh, eighteen eighty-six. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us that we know nothing about, but we are not excused from effort. While we may trust His constant care, we must not conclude that we may be slack in that which our hands find to do. We are to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. We were watching a reality show on TV the other night. And it's about the, it's, what's it called again, the Axemen? It's about the, these guys that harvest trees. It's a rather interest, interesting show. I mean, I, they're loggers, and I, I, I'm watching it primarily not for the antics and all that stuff, but I'm learning how they do it. It's very interesting to me. But they were hiring, they, they were short some men, and they were hiring a guy, and the guy basically said, well, my wife lost her job a few weeks ago, and, and we need the income. And I thought to myself, okay, so your wife was working, but you weren't. Your wife was bringing home the money, supporting the family, and what were you doing? You know, well, she lost her job. Now I got to go out and find a job. We're not to be slothful, any of us, men, women, at all. But the husband is the provider for the home. And this, from this quote, this has a spiritual application as well. We are to share with our family members the light we have freely been given from Christ. Whatever we learn from the Bible, we share with our family. You see, we go out and work, we provide for our family. We provide the truth to our family as well through God's Word. That's our responsibility, man. That's a huge responsibility. Especially when it comes to the family circle and our children. Well, exactly. What a powerful example to, to sons. We have a responsibility to be a, an example of Christ to our, all of our family. But in particular to our sons. Exactly. How a husband treats his wife will be reflected in the behavior and speech of his children. You believe that? The same can be said for the church. How the leadership of the church treats Christ will be reflected in the behavior and speech of the members. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The father is is the lawgiver in the family, but he's to do this with love and patience, nurturing the family. If there is no love and reasoning, then the law will come across as what? Hard exacting, and what that will cultivate through time is a rebellious spirit from the family. That's going to be the end result. The great lawgiver is described as a being of love, isn't he? God is love. And fathers are to be an example of him to their family. Many times younger kids will not understand why such rules exist and discipline is needed. I've seen young parents try to reason with a two-year-old. 
I'm going to tell you that can't be done. But as a child grows into teenage years, you have to change your methods of discipline. And they will be able to reason. You know, if trained and disciplined in a loving manner, they'll conform and understand as they get older. The real key is, and we've learned this, and we've, hey, we've made a lot of mistakes. The key is to be consistent. There is a bond of trust that's developed in the consistency of proper loving discipline. Because, you know, we form a bond of trust with God as He is consistent in His loving discipline with us, don't we? And the same will be found if we do the same in our family. Notice this from Adventist Home, page 212. The Father represents the divine lawgiver in His family. He is a laborer together with God. That's the key. Carrying out the gracious designs of God and establishing in His children upright principles. Enabling them to form pure and virtuous characters because He has preoccupied the soul with that which will enable His children to render obedience not only to their earthly parent but also to their heavenly Father. The Father must not betray His sacred trust. He must not on any point yield up His parental authority. That means if you have a strong-willed child, you've got a task before you. And some families, many families, you see families with children, young, especially younger children, you know who rules that family. <laughs> the children do. And, you know, guys, when you lay down the law at the, uh, of the home, it's to be done with love and mercy, not as a dictator or a tyrant. And brothers, this responsibility is not to be yielded entirely to the mother. Yes, the mother has great responsibility in training up our children, but the father is the head of the home and of the wife. It rests upon you, guys, you fathers, to make sure that the training is righteous, it's carried out in love by being an example of God to your wife and children. And when the father is away, the mother does stand in authority of the home. But here's some very good counsel. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And this is what I was talking about. It will promote rebellion. You know, by continual nagging and complaining, finding fault, censuring, children will, what are they going to do? They're going to wall themselves up against all forms of discipline and become rebellious. And I think the example of the Pharisees should speak volumes to us about this as they were masters at building walls of division. Under continual provocation by the father or mother for that matter, either one, the young person may lose heart and give up the Christian life altogether. Now there are also other you know, things that play a part. Outside influences. Very powerful upon our children. Now, the father's objectives may have been right, but if his method to achieve you know, that perfection of character in his child is not actuated by love, remember, without Christ, union with Christ, they don't see his love, see? It'll produce a disastrous result, and a child and a family can be eternally lost because of it. It's very important. Remember, we must personally continue, personally, to keep our eyes upon Christ each day. Follow his lead. 
if we are to have righteous results and, and order as individuals. And then in our family. The biggest need I see today, my perspective, is for men to spend quality time with their wives and children in good recreation and instruction. And I learned that the hard way. You know, years ago I used to think that the greatest need for gospel work was in the mission fields in some other country. But I've since learned that the greatest mission field is right here at home in the family circle with our wives and children. And brothers, don't get caught thinking, please, that you're doing the Lord's work and witnessing to all others while your own family is falling away from Christ. That's a huge trap. If you spend more time witnessing to others than you do your own wife and children, you are sorely deceived. You are failing in your work for the Master. Your family comes first in the eyes of God. Get your house in order, my friends, and the rest will follow as a result. Gospel order. Notice this. From the book Maranatha, page 102. If you spend more time witnessing to others than you do your own wife and and children, excuse me. <laughs> That's not the quote. I'm reading something different. Maranatha, page 102. Our work for Christ is to begin with the family in the home. Did you catch that? What is our work? Our work for Christ. Where does it begin? With the family in the home. There is no missionary field more important than this. Pretty plain, guys. From the Adventist home, page 220. Yeah, whether you have children or not. We're talking about gospel order in the home. The Adventist home, page 220. The average father wastes many golden opportunities to attract and bind his children to him. Upon returning home from his business, he should find it a pleasant change to spend some time with his children. Fathers should unbend unbend from their false dignity, deny themselves some slight self-gratification in time and leisure in order to mingle with the children, sympathizing with them in their little troubles, binding them to their hearts by the strong bonds of love and establishing such an influence over their expanding minds that their counsel will be regarded as sacred. That has been lost in families, friends. Let me tell you. Children disregard what their parents tell them. It used to be there used to be a time where what their parents told them was regarded as sacred. <laughs> and I know this is strong language, but if your children don't consider your counsel as sacred, you have a work to do in your family. By God's grace. And let me tell you, we all have a work to do in our homes. All of us do. Men are the house bands, or what is now called husbands of the home. We are to be the glue that holds the home together for the Lord. And too many men think they're, they are to be Teflon more than glue. And that's the devil talking to you guys. Notice this, Review and Herald, March 13, 1894. The father is to be the house band of the family. This is his position, and if he is a Christian... He will maintain family government. 
The father is to carry out the gracious designs of God and establish his family in upright principles that they may have virtuous and well-balanced characters. And that's what it's really about, isn't it? It's about character development. Christian character development. Not just for the children, but for all the family. Husbands, wives, and children. Matthew chapter 20, verses 27-28. Jesus said, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, guys, the head of the house is not to be ministered unto by the family as a ruler or a king like that of the world. That's what's taught in the world. No, guys. The man is to be an example of Christ in all things to his wife and family. This means that he's to have a humble servant's attitude in banding his family together for the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Care more for others than for yourself. This is what Jesus showed us, isn't it? One more major responsibility for men is that they are to be the priest of their household and are to build it to the glory of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says, wherefore, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. There's a principle here. You see, the Lord has placed upon men the responsibility of overseeing the spiritual building of our home. It is the man's responsibility to lead the family by example on how to walk with Jesus. It is the man's responsibility to lead the family in the worship of the true God. It is the man's responsibility to pray with his family in order to live up to this responsibility, guys. Self must die and Jesus must reign in the heart. Union with Christ, remember? That's the secret. Again, from the Adventist home, page 212. The Father is in one sense the priest of the household, laying upon the altar of God the morning and evening sacrifice. The wife and children should be encouraged to unite in this offering and also to engage in the song of praise. Morning and evening, the Father, as priest of the household, should confess to God the sins committed by himself and his children through the day. Those sins which have come to his knowledge and also those which are secret, of which God's eye alone has taken cognizance, should be confessed. This rule of action, zealously carried out by the Father when he is present, 
or by the mother when he is absent, will result in blessings to the family. Brothers, I counsel you to take time to study all that inspiration has to say about your responsibilities as a Christian, a husband, and a father. And then pray for God's grace to be the man He wants you to be. I'll tell you that you will not regret it one bit. To have a home under the rule of God and in gospel order is a must if we are to be the people that God wants us to be. And we will gain the best of blessings as well. Beloved, if if you take a very close look, you'll find that there are seven major, I call them, major responsibilities the man has in the family firm. And these are reflected in church order as well. Let me go through the seven with you as I close up here. First of all, he is to be the head of the home. He's to be the head of the home. The man, the husband, the father is a type of savior to the family. He and not the woman, the wife or the mother, is to be the leader of the home. Now I know in our world today, there are single parent homes. But the ideal that God originally formed is that the man is to be the head of the home. And it's, it's because of the failure of that in many respects that we have single parent homes. But if you have a single parent, you are a single parent at home. Don't be discouraged by this. God will bless you as you try to come into His will according to your role. Number two, He is to be the lover of the home. He is to love His wife and children as Christ loved the church. And this includes, guys, intimacy. You're not to neglect intimacy towards your family, especially your wife. The third responsibility. He is to be the provider of the home. Men have been given the primary responsibility to provide for the necessities of the family. He is to work or the family does not eat. A man that does not work is worse than an infidel. That means an unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. I know, we live in a tough, we live in a tough world. And uh, the devil, this is why the devil has, well, I could just get into so many things there, I don't want to go down that path. But um, you do what you can. You do what you can. Okay? God blesses when you do what you can to, to do His will. Fourth responsibility, He's to be the lawmaker of the home. He is to lay out the rules of the home with help from His wife and ensure that righteous principles are carried out in the home that will encourage Christ-like character development. Fifth responsibility, he is to be the glue of the home. He's to live at home and be the glue that binds all members of the family together into a close band. That's the term house band or husband. You will have differences in your home. Sometimes I've had to sit as a judge over certain differences. That's my responsibility. And you work things out. You bring them together. Sixth responsibility, he is to be the humble servant of the home. He is to esteem the family members and all others above himself, attending to their needs at the sacrifice of his own. That's what it is. That's what it means to be Christ-like. And the seventh responsibility, he is to be the priest of the home. 
He is the shepherd that leads the family in worship of the true God. Now, ladies, if your family's not doing any of these things, I mean, so you've got to do it yourself. You do what you can. But the ideal is this is what men's responsibility is. And now, we as men will have to give account to God if we're not fulfilling these responsibilities. I'm telling you, brothers. We are to sacrifice all for our family's eternal welfare, if called to. Now, as you study out the role the man has in the family firm, you'll begin to see, hopefully, I think you will, that the same principles are used in church order. And we'll get to that more in detail later on in our studies. Beloved, for any of us, and for any of this, to have an effect upon us, ourselves, our family, to have an effect on our family or the church, bringing all in the gospel order, it must be motivated by a love for Christ and for each other. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter, isn't it? He said in verses 1 to 3, Though I speak with the tongue, tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Beloved, charity has its source in Christ. And to be like Him, we must have charity in the home before anything else. Would you like to have charity at the heart of your home? That agape love, it's sometimes translated as charity. If you would like that, then I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me now. Our Holy Father in Heaven, we thank You so very, very much for Your love towards us. And that You're constantly trying to teach us about that love. We see in the families today a lack of love. We see disunity. We see discord. And we realize it's because Christ isn't there. He's been rejected in some way or another. Father, we wish to have, and many are praying now with me, to have love in our family, to have unity. And for that we need Jesus. So I pray, I humbly beseech Thee to send angels and the Holy Spirit to each family to touch hearts, to bring them to Jesus. Send them someone, Lord, that is Christ-like, that can be an example to teach them Thy ways, that indeed Your words are true, that You are love. Bless our families as we learn these things and we, we make changes. Some of them may be mighty changes. We pray for Your blessings. We believe, Father. Help our unbelief. Our goal, our wish is to be in gospel order so that we can gain your blessings to share the true gospel of Jesus Christ to the world as a united people, an example of the family in heaven. Help us to that end. Please continue to be with us this holy Sabbath day and for the days ahead. We thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer as we pray it in the blessed name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth.